All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am incredibly excited to bring on my guest today. He is one of the original people on my list of people I wanted to interview when I first started this podcast. And he and I have been friends for years. I've seen him perform a lot of random venues and a lot of random gigs. It's been really interesting, but here he is. Let's talk to him. Tyler Williams. Tyler, how are you? Oh, pretty good, Scott. Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. You are coming through crystal clear in your lovely studio in your home. Looks like a really comfortable place to create. It is. I've, I just got this keyboard to my right, and I really like it. It's weighted, Roland, and then I've, I've always got a bass or two on my left. Sometimes the upright bass is back there. And yeah, I use this room for a lot of different things. It's cozy. I have seen you perform in La Rev twice when that show, magnificent show, really was uh, was still running. Unfortunately, it's been closed permanently. How has it been just dealing with what do I do now? How am I going to survive all of this since there weren't it wasn't like you could just jump to another show? Right. It's been daunting, to say the least. It's it's hard to accept it being gone even a year and a half later. I think it was in March was our last show and we officially closed in August of 2020 permanently. So it's even today, I went through a little bout of depression and just walking around going, no, what do I do? And even though I've got some freelance work coming in and, and things are okay, my wife works full time. So we're, we're very fortunate with that. She's on the show. O at the Bellagio and as a full-time musician, and that's been great. But I still, I just heard this on another podcast, Scott. It was like, they said 3 million vo- jobs have been permanently destroyed in America. Wow. That's a, that's a staggering number. It really is. You know, so I'm, I'm just thinking, well, you know, a lot of these big shows just couldn't come back. The Rev had 300 people working at it. And so it's just kind of like, you know, things will come back here and there, but it's kind of daunting still to realize that it's going to be a long time before that heyday. If we ever had that kind of heyday come back where there's tons of shows on the strip with full bands. Right. And you know, when they opened that new giant resort here, I was thinking, well, there's got to be at least one, if not two or three different entertainment acts that are going to come in and there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I don't know what's next. Yeah, I don't either. I, I know that, uh, well, Cirque du Soleil closed. The only show that they closed so far was Humanity, uh, which is a shame because I thought that was a great show. It was a very unique show. Um, but I, the one thing I can kind of understand about La Rev, and I had wondered if Cirque would do the same thing with O, because they're much more expensive shows to run. With it being a water show, you've got a lot more to deal with with maintaining the water levels, the pH balance. Then you've got laundry and costuming are going to be more work. I had really wondered if that might have been part of the issue of why they closed it. I think so. We went through a lot of changes the two or three years before we we actually shut down where we we did order new costumes. We ordered we had new lighting put in. We had new music even was commissioned. We had Alan Menken write a whole new score for the show. And then Steve Wynn turned out he didn't really like it after it was finished. So we scrapped it and then we rewrote it again. And it's like, so they spent a lot of money and I don't think the sales were great the year or two before we closed, we shut down, but still we we were pretty devastated, of course. 
And the show had gone through a lot of uh, story changes too. I mean, eliminating the clowns and revamping that just just a year or so before. But I I actually had the original score when uh, Kate Saint Pierre was the lead vocalist and Rob was the lead male. And yeah, it's nothing like the show as it as it was when it closed. I mean, it's it, it right. doesn't even feel like it would have been done in the same theater. Right. I mean, it was such a darker mysterious kind of show when yes. it first started. Yeah. yeah. And that was Ben Rodgers' score. Uh, how is, now, you were the music director on the show, so you had a little bit more responsibility than the rest of the musicians. Just to kind of give everyone an understanding of how a show works, can you kind of give me an overview of, of that? It's a lot of yelling and screaming oh. every day. And <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, the band was wonderful. Some of my best friends, you know, in town we're in that band and we're, we, we remain close today, of course, but as a music director, I would have to get the charts from Benoit who, who wrote the score. And if he made changes, I would help implement the changes or arrange or make copies, which, you know, as a copyist, you make the charts, I guess. And Angela Chan also helped me with that for the, the vocalists. And she actually arranged a lot of the vocal harmonies you would hear in the theater. And wow. she did a great job with that. She's pretty amazing to work with, I have to say. She really is. And so we would we would come in with the charts and updated music. And I would pass them out before a rehearsal. And then we would just run through everything, make sure it worked. And then... Lo and behold, there'd be a track in Ableton or something that wasn't quite lining up with what we thought we were supposed to be doing. So it's just a lot of uh, stirring the pot during the day to see if we can get the music to come together and then putting it into the show eventually. So there was a lot of doing that when we revamped the show. It was like we would add another song every couple months or so. So it took about a year and a half, two years to implement the new music. It was kind of a, yeah, strange process because we were actually, it, the, in fact, I, I kind of forgot about it till I just now thought about it. And we would have like some of Alan Menken's music playing and then we'd play some of Benoit's music because we didn't want to shut the show down. So it would be like you'd hear Benoit, which is very circy, very, you know, atmospheric and fits the vibe of the show really well because he's a master at that. And then you'd hear Alan Minkin's music, which is, you know, he's the Disney king. And it was like this huge orchestration in the tracks and us playing along with it. And it just, it had a totally different feel, but. Yeah, it kind of switched from like uh, what you would traditionally expect in a show here in Vegas to almost like you were at a Hollywood premiere. And then it just kind of kept going back and forth. And it, it did throw me off a little bit during that transition. Um, I remember seeing David Copperfield and I was so disappointed in the show because, well, for a lot of reasons, really, but the music was all over the place. Like one and and they were right next to a club, which when I saw the show, it was the later show at night. So you've got the, you know, the thumping bass and drums from the club next door to a cinematic piece of music that he's performing to. But then they would do some like it would be cinematic and then it would go to some hip hop thing and then some rock and roll thing like it was just all over the place. The most incohesive score I've ever heard. Weird. Yeah. Huh. And and I thought about just kind of finding some polite way to offer to work with them on something better. But I was so disappointed in the show. I kind of just didn't want to be a part of it. And I know that's ridiculous because it's David Copperfield. <laughs> but at the same point, I was like, um, I think I'm good. 
That's funny. That's kind of what gets us into these creative uh, avenues, right? You hear something and you're like, I think I could make that a little bit better. Ed. Yeah. And I hope that doesn't sound arrogant because I don't mean it to, but being someone who scored films, you understand what a cohesive score is. And even if you have completely different themes from different parts of the world, you can put that together and make it be one thing. But this right. was just so far off of anything I could put together. I, I It just threw me for a loop because I would have expected he would have an amazing production. Right. You know, of all it, people. Interesting. I wonder who we'll have to Google that later and see who put it together. But <laughs> I wonder be how funny. often... Because he's still performing. I think he's just performed last, this last Friday or well, yesterday, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, the different styles coming together and how you make it kind of work. And 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 Benoit was really good with that with LaRab. He, he, he just, it was it was cool because he always had his little, you know, signature on every song. Right. Well, you know, and when he did additional music for Mystere over at Treasure Island that added to René Dupéry's score, that music fit in beautifully. You couldn't really tell it was two different scores put together at different times. But when they added the stuff from Zed, when they closed that in Japan and then added a couple songs into Mystere, they really don't fit. Right. You know, it's, it's such a weird thing. But that also could be, to be fair, that I'm just so used to the score because I've seen that show what, six or seven times. So I'm so used to that score that maybe anything foreign coming in at that point would be automatically repelled by my brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I want to be fair. I, I don't want to discourage people uh, for any means because these shows are spectacular. What, oh, was yeah. it, what was it like for you to, did it become just a job after a while or was there always some element of, I get to entertain all the people that are in these, these two bowls of seats around me? Oh, Wow. Well, it did, to be totally honest, it did become, you know, tiresome to play the same music every night sometimes, or you would get kind of complacent with just, okay, here's this song and here, here's what I got to play. And I, cause you can't really change what you play. But that being said, it was an amazing experience when the crowd would cheer or I'd be packing up my stuff and somebody'd walk by and just say, oh, that was incredible. And they'd have tears in their eyes or want to shake my hand. And what I really noticed, Scott, was like if I would go to the bank or, or somewhere, you know, filling up my, my gas and go in and talk to somebody about their day and you just kind of, they, they say, well, what do you do for a living? And they're like, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I play bass for Larev and that's my full-time job. And, and they're like, really? You do that full-time? That's like, <laughs> you don't have like a, a day job as well or something like that. I'm like, no. And, and, and then I'd have to kick my own ass a little bit and say, you know, Tyler, you have this kick-ass job and shut up about complaining about doing the same thing every day. So, Yeah, but, you know, I think it's fair because you you have your issues to deal with no matter what bubble you're in. Everybody right. has their own issues to deal with. And, and it wouldn't be fair to yourself to say, well, because I have a job that people admire or aspire to have, I shouldn't complain at all because it doesn't take away the fact that within that job, there are still things that can be frustrating. Right. True. True. I mean, everybody gets frustrated, even if you're making millions of dollars, right? We have actors and musicians that are do terrible things to themselves because they just can't find their happiness and their, their well, cheap. And, and the level of pressure as you know, the, the, the more successful you become, especially now with social media and the internet scrutinizing, oh, look at the way he took in that breath. He's probably stoned. 
You know, like uh, every single thing you do now can just be scrutinized and put out there. So I would imagine the more successful you get, the more challenging it gets just trying to keep your sanity. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost grateful to hardly sell any music. <laughs> exactly. I know. Because then you're like, expect all these expectations come in where if you're a performer doing a hit song, like I'm trying to think of somebody, you know, like Lady Gaga or, or, or Garth Brooks or something, they're always expected to do this certain song. And I'm sure at the end of the day, they get kind of tired of doing doing that, but it pays the bills. So Well, yeah. And I mean, you think of bands that have been around since the 60s or 70s that are still performing the same songs. I mean, Black Sabbath is finished, but up to the point where they were still touring, they were still playing Paranoid. And right. it just seems like at some point you would be like, I, I'm i not doing this anymore. I don't care. Right. <laughs> you know. But I, I remember hearing Steve Morse, the guitar player for Deep Purple, talk about Smoke in the Water. And he said, imagine if you had a button that you could press that would just make 60,000 people scream with, with joy. Wouldn't you want to press that button? Ooh, that's a great, that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. But the the challenge with you is what you're doing is you're doing an entire set that's in the same order, done exactly the same way. You really don't have a lot of freedom to make it interesting or play it differently to keep it, you know, like you, you're really kind of like Pavarotti, where no matter what he wants to do, he has to go out and sing those arias exactly the way they're expected to be sung. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it'll upset people and people stop going. Right, right. What's I don't get what's the point of. With with you guys, because some of the stuff that you did was timed with the things that were going on on stage. So right. you, you understand that there are certain things that have to happen at a certain time and prevent right. some flexibility. But right. why would I want to just go see a perfectly performed piece performed that I can just stay home and listen to the record and get the exact same thing and save 150 bucks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't ever think that again, Scott. Just no. kidding. Well, but but with but, you guys, I mean, with shows like we have in, in Vegas and that tour around the world, those are different because there's a whole visual component to that. But if exactly. I were to go see Pavarotti play or would have when he was still with us, if it's going to be exactly the same as the record, right. what's the excitement of being there? Right. Right. Well, the you know, the excitement for us is is reacting to the the acts. So like if if an acrobat is kind of hanging there, we'd have to go into a loop session and maybe hey, I'd tell the band, "Hey guys, you know, stay in D minor, stay on D minor." Okay. Mundo, add some guitar. Yeah, go up high. That's cool. Okay, we're going to G minor now, guys. All right, let's do a 5 chord. Here we go. Here we go. And and just everybody's kind of in that moment and and then we're just like really excited about helping out the performers on stage at that moment. I would think that would be one of the biggest challenges of doing a show like that is just having to not just concentrate on your instrument and being responsible for the rest of the band, but having to keep in time with the performers and whether, and if they're not on that beat, you have to be ready to jump in and work with it. That's, that would be probably the, the exciting part of it, but also the, probably the most terrifying. Right. Yeah, it's it it is, and I'm trying to I was trying to think of another thing we would do to kind of keep ourselves fresh, the musicians, and Jean, the previous drummer before Alex. What we would do is, he and I would talk about this between shows, and like, hey, I'm going to change my click mix, and like, what are you what are you going to do? Like, well, I'm going to pan it more left. Oh, cool, I'll try that too, and and then we would just like talk about 
we're, we're going to add some guitar on this song and I'm going to turn, Hey, did you know there's on track 15, there's this little shaker. Let's, let's add that to our mixes <laughs> and see what it feels like. And, and then even turning the click way down and try to just, just to the bare minimum to be with it. And it really, it really does help. Another thing I would do is I would play a bass line on a different string Ooh. and go like, Ooh, this is exciting. Mm-hmm. I just played the F in, in on the sixth fret of the B string instead of the first fret of the E string. And like just little things like that would really go a long way, you know, after playing 5,000 shows or oh, whatever. Sure. Yeah. And you, were you, you weren't there from the beginning, were you? No, I came in uh, 2008. Okay. September. But but that's still a pretty lengthy run in a show. Well, almost 12 years. Yeah. I can't believe it. So I got one more question about the Rev. Sure. You guys went in before they tore the theater down and just kind of saw the the empty shell. Yeah. Was that tough? That was really tough. In fact, there's a on my Facebook profile picture or the whatever the other picture is, the, the, the big background. picture. Yeah. The background. Yeah. It's it's Dina, my wife and I in the theater after I had to turn in my my employee ID. I'm like, well, let's do one more picture here. And uh and it sucks, you know, it's like I'm about to choke up just talking about it, but it's, we were so like, this is it. This is the last time I might see this theater. And it was, of course. And, um, which is, I got to change that damn picture on my Facebook. <laughs> but, it's, it's, but I was literally crying that day and tearing up, hugging my managers, hugging coaches and other performers. And yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it was a tough, thing to leave i couldn't sleep for a couple of weeks i was just like i couldn't believe it was taken away from us because people come and go they they quit or they they you know move on to other shows or quit on their own terms usually it's not like you know (laughs) but uh yeah man it was really it was really emotional well i think too for people to understand that what you really have here is not just a job it becomes a band becomes more of a family yeah. And because you guys were all friends, you know, I, I know a good chunk of that band myself, not as well as you do, obviously, but I'm friends with most of them. And yeah. we would all see each other at the Christmas party, you know, that, that Angela has and Alex have. And uh, you get to become part of each other's lives. And it, it's more than just that element of camaraderie you have as say you work in an office. There's a difference when you're creating things together or performing together. And that is probably aside from the monetary part of it and the, what am I going to do tomorrow? That's probably one of the hardest components is that you're not going to see your family five days a week, like you're used to. Right. Definitely. And it's really hard to see family during like the holidays and things like that, because everybody wants to be able to take time off in the, in the company. But if they start letting one or two people go, then it's not fair to the other 298 people that want to go home too. So yeah, and and it's and it's tough too because you're in the band, so it's not like there's four bass players waiting to back you up to step in and say, "Oh, I could fill in for tonight." Because then the worry becomes, "Well, what if they do better than I do? What if they do something different that people are like?" Wait a minute, I like that. <laughs> is is there an element of competition here with that? Like there would be in say Los Angeles. Oh, for like getting into these shows, yeah. And, uh, that's a good question because I. Man, I really wish we could have had live more live subs because we only had I think it was just the drums and vocals were subbed out. 
and because the drum there's so much interaction that the drummer has to do with with the acts with you know cymbal swells and accents with with what's going on on stage so it was really hard to use a backup for that but for everybody else it was pretty much ableton backups if if one person was out so i had a lot of bass players over the years ask me hey do you need a sub do you need a sub and they would send me a text or a call and i felt bad because i was like sorry we don't have a sub position the, the company just we're just using backups and a lot of the Cirque shows do the same thing, but I really would love to have, would have loved to have live subs for every, every chair. But the good thing about that, I guess, is like, I couldn't like, I wouldn't have to like pick the top two or three friends slash best bassists in town to do the gigs. I never had to make the, the hard choices like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Steve feels just a little bit better than you are. Live with yeah. it. I'm like, how do you do that? You know, <laughs> sorry about that. But it, it does feel here uh, very much like a family oriented entertainment industry. I'm sure there are some cutthroat people out there, but for the majority of the people that I've met, it seems like everybody just really cares. They all support each other. It's not a competitive industry here. I love this town. I love the musicians here and the the friendships we have. It is. It's very supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. It's definitely different from the environment I came from. And it was for a while. I was like, "What am I missing? <laughs> you know, where's right? it at? Because I'm not seeing it." But I've lived here, you know, six and a half years now, and I've gotten to know a lot of people in the in the music side of the industry and actors and things. And I just don't see the people that are that are like that don't last here because they just they don't fit in trying to be competitive in a non-competitive world. Yeah. Ooh, that's that's true, Scott. Yeah, it's very it's like a big family. All the musicians here, they know each other. They support each other. I mean, the bass player community is awesome. We we try to have these like bass luncheons once in a while. We have a Facebook group. Hmm. Um, we just lost one of our our bassists, Mark Kataska here, and really nice guy. And he just we just I guess he was he he was supposed to do an out of town gig, and he just was a didn't call and didn't show up and and had a heart attack. So a lot of the bass players we've been just you know helping each other out and supporting each other and sending texts about him. And I don't know. I mean, I, it's just a cool community that, that looks out for each other. Like I, I mean, I'll pat my own back here a little bit, but like Donnie Castleman's a great bassist in town and he also does like musician taxes. So he's got a whole side business with that. But somebody called me about doing a gig f- to play bass and sing high and lead. And I don't do either one. I, <laughs> I can do some backgrounds and stuff. And I said, I, I can't do this gig. And it was a good gig full-time gig and so i gave it to donnie and donnie was just like really happy about it and and he's loving the gig and and he's throwing me some work too for upright bass because he doesn't play upright bass and yeah see that's it i mean it's it's not just about you know getting the job and having the job it's about you know i can't fill this gap but i know somebody who can yeah probably could in that kind of thing and you're not really competing with each other doing that because you fill different requirements yeah you know, but I know I know you and I know Derek Jones and both of you guys are just, you know, Derek's the bass player over at Ka and you guys are just not just phenomenal bass players to me, but you're great people. You know, you're people that I would have dinner with or hang out with any time. And I had the pleasure of meeting Derek uh, shortly before I moved here. But it's it's just so refreshing to see musicians that are 
proud of what they do. They're confident in what they do, but they're also humble about it at the same time. Like I've seen you at all kinds of live gigs just randomly. Oh, look, Tyler's playing. I didn't know he was here today, <laughs> you know? And uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking too of the, uh, I think some of the last ones I saw you at was that thing Angela had put together for the School of Rock, which was an amazing program where kids could come in and they could perform on stage in front of, in front of music professionals. And yeah. then the professionals would play and then the kids would come up on stage and play with the professionals. Where do you get that kind of opportunity to work directly with people like that? If I would have been an eight or nine year old kid having that opportunity, I I just would have been so elated. Yeah, the, the School of Rock is great. Um, Positively Arts is another organization that that she and I both work with a lot, and and it's it's awesome. We love working with those kids, and and they just they just motivate and inspire, and they're so excited. And and I remember. I mean, I'll go on a little short tangent here, but I was thinking about my high school teacher who came in his first, he was a new teacher to my, my small school. I grew up in Washington state and he played George of the jungle hmm. with tracks and a guitar. And this is like, you know, mid eighties. So it's probably eight track or something like that. <laughs> right. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. And, and I just reconnected with him on Facebook and he's retired now, but we have a couple mutual friends. He lives in Oregon and, and I just love this whole like full circle of getting back to the kids. I was a kid back then and how he inspired me that music could be really fun. Even though you're playing in concert band, you, we can rock out and we can jam. And he, and he always inspired me to, to keep going. Yeah. And uh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. And I meant to say earlier, I'm very sorry about the loss of your friend. I didn't know him. Uh -huh. But I've heard the name and from everything I've heard people say, he was a pretty incredible, incredible guy. Yeah, really nice guy. Just, and I'll, yeah, a lot of people knew him in town. So now we, we recently had coffee, which was amazing to see each other in person. You are the sixth person that I've seen since the lockdown started. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so over, you know, a year and a half, uh, that's, that's pretty good. And it was mostly just somebody came to town. We had a, a dinner across the table. And that would be about it, you know, uh, wow. but it was, we were trying to figure out when exactly we met. And I, the more I thought about it since we talked, I'm pretty sure it was at one of the gigs that Alex did with his band. I just can't remember which one. I know it was downtown somewhere, but I don't oh. know if it was the bunkhouse or um, the other place he was playing that I can't think of. Was that the Silver State? Or, or was it, uh, no, no, it was rabbit young. It was rabbit young. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Maybe the bunkhouse might've been the bunkhouse. It might've yeah. been, but it just instantly, uh, you and Dina both were just people that I'm like, I really like these people. These are people that I feel a really good energy with and, and would want to spend time with. And the more I've gotten to know you guys over the years, you've just proved me right. You know, and I, I really appreciate our friendship and, you know, watching you perform is just amazing because you're so good at what you do, whether you're playing upright or just regular electric bass, it's, it's like you, you're so confident and it seems like it's so effortless. Even when I know some of the stuff you're playing is not, you, you come across very calm and collected whenever I've seen you play. Oh, thanks, Scott. Well, we feel the same about you. We've always enjoyed hanging out with you and getting to know you more. And, and Dina says hi, by the way. She's... Oh, thank you. Hi, Dina. <laughs> <laughs> she's just left a few minutes ago and she was texting me. It's like, I'm on the road. Um, but yeah, it's as far as being 
calm and confident that's sort of comes with the base i think a little bit people ask me about that sometimes and i don't really think about it as i've i've never really wanted to be a front man lead singer like sting or paul mccartney or something like that but there's something that comes with the instrument uh, as a supporting instrument where you're i've always made the joke that you know you notice us when we're not there mm-hmm. as bass players right yes and it, it would happen in the show too. I, I would, I could lay out for a couple of beats or something and somebody would call me like stage management, everything okay up there. I'm like, Oh yeah, I just had my volume knob off, you know, right. I, I muted a string on accident or some stupid little thing. They're like, where were you? Where were you? You know, we missed you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think bass is one of those things that people feel more than they hear it unless it's specifically meant to be heard. You know, say like roundabout by yes, where bass is obviously a focused instrument. Uh, Most of the time, it's just meant to be present and not necessarily directly paid attention to. Yeah, that's what I like about it, really. It's just it's a I mean, the support the band, you know, make the band sound good. That's that's kind of what it what it's about for me personally. Yeah, but I do like roundabout and that aggressive picking and, you know, mid rangey, you know, primus. Chris Squire. Right. Yeah. And I I often thought if he ever regretted writing that because by the end of it, his hand had to just be killing him. And I'm sure there's nights he's on stage where he's like, oh, God, don't make me do this song. That's funny. I mean, it's one. it would be fun to play. But physically, even if you've got the endurance of being a touring musician, there has to be nights where that's a taxing song to play. Yeah. And you're not getting away without playing it. Yeah, I know. That's like, yeah, it's like if you don't play that, people are going to go home and want a refund. Exactly. Now, a question. Sorry, Scott. Uh No, go ahead. Did you ever see the picture of of Dina and Chris Squire dancing? No. Is it on (laughs) her Facebook? Oh, I have to see that. It might be on her Facebook, but it's so she she has this this dress that she's had for for many years and she calls it the Chris Chris Squire dress. But but she used to play. She's played with Yes a couple of times when they did the symphonic stuff. Okay. And they got to be friends, like, and um, with uh, John Anderson as well, the, the lead singer. And they they got to party a couple of times together. She got to ride in a limo with them a couple of times after the gigs. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, so there's one night they were hanging out and, and they were dancing in the living room. And it's it's like, I'm like, I'm like jealous at for two reasons because <laughs> it's chris squire and i wish it was me dancing with chris squire <laughs> and for two because chris squire was dancing with my my future wife here what's going on there right yeah and you're like is she still going to be my future wife after this <laughs> is over now for <laughs> right? to, to clarify for you guys that are listening dina is the cellist in in the show oh at, over at the bellagio and she is just a fantastic player one of my favorite parts in that show is when she walks across the stage and just oh. plants herself in the middle and starts playing her her sound is just rich and full and it fills that huge theater that is yeah. a very big theater uh so much open space in it but her sound just fills it from end to end it's absolutely stunning yeah it sounds wonderful in there i just actually got to see it last last sunday night and beautiful beautiful show yeah. when she comes yeah. out it's just i get really choked up just because the timing of it not to give it away but it's just the musically it, it, it's it's very dramatic when she comes out as scott was saying and yeah the sound in there is killer it's definitely one of the more emotional pieces that's another score that's kind of all over the place but it works it's mm-hmm. somewhat classical it's somewhat ethnic 
and world yes. music, um, yes. a lot of percussion in it. Um, yep. Some songs are unexpectedly just really exciting and, and dramatic. And then you'll have this just drops down into this lull of emotional strings. And it's, it's a very powerful score. It really is. And the instrumentation is just, oh, with, with the Cora and the, and the, and the Arhu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. What's those two instruments together, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and I, was it, that was, was that, that was Beth, uh, Benoit, wasn't it? That did yeah, that? it was. Yeah. That I was Benoit so. as well. Yeah. 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 Some great songs in there. Uh, so I want to talk about, we're going to, we're going to get into your album here in a minute. So your album is called Hear Me Now, and we're just about to hit the 10th, the 10th anniversary. How does that strike you that it was 10 years ago you put this out? Well, it's weird because I haven't done anything since then on my own as like putting my name. I've done a lot of recordings and have done like single pieces and songs that like the composer showcases and, you know, in my own studio here and in other studios and collaborated with others. But I'm just like, because when I released that thing, my my record with Peter Erskine and, and Dirk K, I thought, okay, I'm gonna do one of these every year for the next twenty years <laughs> and then I'll have twenty more albums under my name. Didn't happen. But so it feels a little like lame in that respect, but I also had a kick ass gig for ten years and, and I like doing other projects and now I'm kinda writing again and it's it's fun. I've got a little bit of a fire under my ass to to get back out there. Good. Well, it, it is, in all fairness, it is very difficult to find the time to, not just the time to write when you have a full-time gig, but right. the time to, you can't just start writing and all of a sudden be 100% immersed in it. You kind of have to lull into where you were at when you left off on a piece and get that energy back because otherwise it can change the direction of the song completely because you're in a different mood than you were when you stopped writing. And right. there is a lot more to it. It sounds very simple on the surface of, well, okay, I got home at 1130 from Larev and I'm going to have dinner and then I'm going to start working. I'll work till like three. It, it doesn't just work that way. Right. It doesn't. If, if somebody's not pushing you to do it, like a record label, which I didn't have, a, I had my own label or, or you have, if, if when I was under contract with Larev, I couldn't just like say, well, I'm going to take uh, June and July off and go tour Europe with my new CD. Right. They wouldn't allow that, you know? So it's hard to be excited to write something new, knowing I can't really perform it. And I'm not just trying to make excuses here, but it's, it's you know, Dirk K, who, who's my guitarist on the record, and we've played several gigs over the years. He He does all of that full time as much as he can. He tries to write a record and then tour the record. In fact, he was supposed to tour last year in Europe mm. with, with a new project he was working on. And he, he, he's pretty much put out a new record almost every year, no matter what, but he has to piece a lot of things together to do that. And anyway, it's just kind of a thing where I guess it's for me, I have to have almost like a few gigs lined up a and then b have the record and then have the guys together so it's like a package deal i think but speaking of which i am working on a new project i am very excited about that (laughs) but yeah there there is a certain element of it's not motivation because there's the desire to create something is is there but Mm. it's the logistics of finding a way to make it work the daunting task of how am I going to get all these people together? Nobody's backing this. So I'm kind of on my own here. 
And there's a lot of things that really work against us getting something done. Like you said, unless you have a record company or somebody pushing you to make it happen. It doesn't mean that the desire isn't there, but those logistics can be so overwhelming that it makes you not be able to write. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're kind of frozen. And and I don't know. I think what most people are doing these days seems to be the kids that want to get their stuff out there. It's just, it's all social media. It's, it's yeah. YouTube, it's Instagram. It's like, I wrote this, look what I'm doing. Um, I just interviewed my friend, Rachel Eckroth, who she plays keyboards for St. Vincent. And she just released a jazz trio record. Well, she's doing, she's doing the tour with St. Vincent. That's probably paying the bills. And then she's also booking jazz trio gig. I'm actually like a big fanboy of hers and I just love her stuff. She's an amazing writer amazing keyboardist singer and i'm like she's she's doing it right she's actually she knows this tour is going to end in a couple of months with saint vincent so she's like i'm going to book these jazz gigs at the same time and that's just something i think we all have to just embrace i mean if you're over if you're over 40 and you're you're stubborn to social media i think it's just gonna it's gonna be working against you if you don't you know yeah. join or fail right I, I hate to use the words you have to conform, but yeah. so I'll say you have to adapt. I mean, you have to adapt with the way the world works if you want to be successful in it. If you're just like, you know what, I'll put my stuff out. If three people hear it, great. And you don't right. really care, then you don't have any responsibility to promote it. But why would you go through all the trouble of creating something, putting it out into the world and then not caring if people checked it out? You know, that makes no sense. Right. And you and you want to you want it to be sustainable, even if you have a full-time gig or a day gig or, you know, a music gig. I mean, you don't want to just spend $10,000 and then get nothing in return. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd have better chances putting your money in the slot machine here and, and getting something back out of it, you know? Right. Right. Um, so in, in tandem with your record, Hear Me Now, you have now started a podcast called Hear Me Pod podcast which uh -huh. is uh, an amazing, here's how I described it to you. And, and this is every episode I felt this way. I feel like I'm sitting down in a coffee house and I'm just listening to two people talk, having a very relaxed and casual conversation, two people that know and respect each other. It's just a really wonderful environment. It doesn't sound like, well, we're in a recording studio and we're doing this and we're, you know, it, it's just very casual and relaxed. And the conversation because of that, I think a lot of things come out in conversation that wouldn't otherwise because it's such a relaxed environment. I think you've got a great formula. Oh, thanks, Scott. I really overthought the whole thing before I even pressed release on the first episode, <laughs> which is with Marcus Weiss, who's a mutual friend of ours. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and I really, I, I'm into these really techie podcasts. Like there's one called the Mac Power Users. There's the... Mac Geek Gab. There's there's music ones I like. There's one called Scoring Notes that I really love, and these are really like nerdy podcasts. And they they make sure that they cover very specific things. They do they work really hard on their outline and the show links and all these things. And it's great. And I thought, well, I'm going to do one like that. I'm going to do one like that, but it's going to be music and technology. And then I'm just like, ah, you know what? I want something my mom will actually listen to as well. <laughs> She's she doesn't like computers that much sure. and, yeah or, or you know and she's not a real music 
nerd. She's got a great ear, though. I got to say that about mom, if you're listening to this. But she, I'd be writing some some tune, even something that I think that was on Hear Me Now. And I'm, she's like, something's weird there. I don't know. And I'm like, I play it again for her. And she's like, I think you're going to the chorus a little too soon. Can you put in like a, a fill or a break? And I'm like, and she was right, you know? And I just like, that's really cool. Her intu- intuition was just magically there at the time. She could be a producer. She could be, you know? And she's done that a few times actually over the years where it's just, like just surprises me with this little insight. And I like that about the podcast format where you can talk to somebody about almost anything and get something out of, I think you're really good at that, Scott. I think, I think you've had so many different guests on your podcast where it's a writer, it's a musician, it's, it's, you know, a comedian or even a family member or two or something like that. And it's just like, this is, this is just good conversation and I feel comfortable. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. I, I have written no questions down, by the way, to talk to you about, like, I didn't write one single thing down. (laughs) And and that's, I think that's part of the trick for me is that it it really does become an organic conversation. And I think better things come out if you're just having a conversation that if you're like, okay, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts before I started mine. And what I would hear was, I have to ask you this question. Great. I got an answer. Here's the next question I had. Great. I got an answer. No exploring the answer, no seeing where that goes, no follow-up. Just, I checked off all the boxes. Thanks for coming on the show. Get out. And I didn't like that. You know, I, I want it to be very conversational. Like your show is just, let's just sit down and have a chat and we'll record it and maybe we'll put it out. Yeah. You know, and, and. I love that you had Marcus on as your first guest because I've had Marcus on the show. I've worked on a couple of shows with Marcus as well. And he is just an, an amazing energy that I can only compare to someone like Robin Williams, whose Ooh. brain is just constantly working and has thoughts that interrupt the other thoughts. And I don't know how he keeps any of that straight in his head. It's amazing. He And he was instrumental in getting my podcast off the ground. Actually, it was the same... Mothership Coffee House, which is supporting this podcast, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not yet. I'm trying, Not yet. Get, I'm trying to get uh, Twining's Tea to sponsor me for all the money I've spent on tea because that's what I drink while I'm I'm on the show. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. They they did like a Twitter or a uh, Instagram post that I made, but that's as far as we've gotten so far. So I feel I have some negotiating power. <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> But it, but it's really, you have a great voice. You have a great way of interviewing people. And I'm really glad you started your podcast because I think it's the kind of podcast we need. It's not pretentious. It's just, here's what we talked about. Here it is. Check it out. Listen in, have some fun, sit back, relax. And instead of the shows that say that, and then like, okay, you guys got to get pumped. You know, you're, yeah. you actually deliver that coffee house feel, which is great. Oh. And, Thanks, man. Yeah. That means a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, we had to talk about your album. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this into two episodes because we've been talking for a little over 40 minutes. So I usually try and keep it around, you know, 30 to 35 minutes or so per episode. I used to do like two hour marathon podcasts, but no one would listen to them. So I started breaking them into smaller chunks and people seem to like that better because they don't feel like, oh, there's this podcast that might be cool, but like I'm not sitting there for two hours. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, I've battled with that very same concept where I wanted it to be exactly 30 minutes or exactly 40 minutes. And some of them go a little longer. And I just, yeah. 
Well, so, if, if the conversation is good, you don't want to miss capturing something that people might enjoy or maybe an important point or a thought that would come up. So you just you don't lose it. And then you just split it into two episodes and say, here's a couple of bites. Listen as you feel like it. You know, if right. you enjoyed it, go to part two. If not, go to part two anyway. You know? Absolutely. We should we give them a good cliffhanger then to the to get to the second? Yes. We started listening to the album and you won't believe what happened next. I can't believe it. Well, you, you know I did write a song for my my cat that that passed away. Yes. <laughs> and here's how it went. <laughs> Click. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, just released a random because we're recording this on Saturday about a week and a half before this episode will come out. And uh, my guest and I are actually working on she's a photographer and she and I are working on a project together that's musical. And oh. so she had it kind of I said, well, I can't wait to see what you do next. And she goes, well, maybe it'll be something with you. And I'm like, ooh, ooh. you just said that in the podcast. We're going with it. <laughs> I like it. So, yeah, that's it's. It's, I love that we have all these different side projects and things that we work on. You get all these really cool gigs that, you know, why, where I'll randomly go out and then you'll just be on stage. And I'm like, oh, cool. Tyler's here. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And uh, and I love that. But it also keeps things fresh because we're not just buried in one project and not able to see, oh, that did need a segue or a bridge or, or something like that, you know. Uh, right. So, no, yeah. it's, it's really cool to have extraneous things going on. And, and it also, you learn more from it, you grow, and those things can make your project better, too. Yeah, it's true. It's true, man. Do you yeah. find that you're still, because you're, you're really well-versed in bass, do you find that you're still learning when you work with different people? Oh, yeah. I mean, constantly. It's it's always, I mean, the charts could be different, the 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 versions of, of the tunes could be different. I just played at Delilah's recently and there were a couple charts in there that were just a little bit weird. Like some of the changes were weird and the piano player and I looked at each other kind of like, you know, and then he, he changed it and then he just he, you know, go to D flat then C. Oh, okay, cool. You know, and we had that, that cool little exchange. So we didn't keep playing the chords we didn't like together. Right. Sorry, Serena, who was singing, if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, but but that's what I love about playing music. And, and especially, I'm, I mean, I'm a jazz guy. That's kind of my favorite thing to do. But just how you can you can show up and say, yeah, I know this tune. It's all blues, blah, blah, blah. I know the three chords. I know the and then somebody might just say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put a two chord before that five chord or do this little change up. And then it's like, oh, this is exciting. You know, this is this is now now I'm playing it a little bit differently. Right. And that that makes it more interesting for you than just going, OK, here's the songs I'm going to play and played all these before. Know them pretty well. So let's just get this gig done. Right. Yeah. Well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the episode here. So we'll be back in the next episode with Tyler if he'll not hang up on me because I'm such a difficult host to deal with. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you next time. Well, you get just a little taste of what a great guy Tyler is. And his wife, Dina, is absolutely wonderful as well. I'm so honored to have them in my life. And next week, you'll get a taste of what a great composer and performer Tyler is as we dig into his album, Hear Me Now. He sticks around. We go through song by song. He gives all kinds of great background to the recording, how it all came about. And of course, 
to each song. So come back next week. And then after that, we may have a little bit of a bonus before the month is out. Stay tuned, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.